Hi, this is Jeanette Creamore, or you may know me as JC. Welcome to Laugh, Learn, Lead, a podcast show that helps project sponsors, project managers, and their teams shape their project success stories. I'll be sharing interviews that bring a different perspective to what project success looks and feels like, as well as unpacking our conversations to provide insights and practical tips. Stay tuned and enjoy. Hi, listeners. In this episode, I catch up with Emma Sharrock, who is passionate about all things that involve change and people, having worked as a project and change manager since 1999. She founded a coaching business in 2011 and since then has been looking for ways she could converge her passions for projects, change and human behaviour. Emma feels that in this increasingly complex world, we're losing the human aspect of project and change management. We are prioritising tools and templates over relationships and human interaction. Her goal when she wrote The Agile Project Manager was to provide simple techniques to assist project professionals to achieve project success. We talk about her background in projects and change, her book, The Agile Project Manager, what organisations are struggling with when attempting an agile way of working, what shapes team success, the difference between a good and an awesome project manager, and what she enjoys most about working with her clients. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so excited. Um, I met you at Brene Brown recently, and I was um, just um, gobsmacked on how much um, alike we are, the language we use, and some of the things that we want to help project teams with. So really thank you for your time. Thank you. I'm really excited that you invited me. And I feel the same way when we met. It's always great going to those events and meeting someone like Brene Brown. But I think the bonus has come when I meet people like you where, wow, we're so much alike and we're passionate about very similar things. So very much looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah. So let's start off. I know you as an author, but I'm sure there's been a lot of ups and downs for your career journey to get to where you are today. So who is Emma and what's she do? (laughs) Well, I started my career in the Royal Australian Navy, actually, as a naval officer doing navigation and warfare on the bridge of a ship. And although that's not really very much like what I do now, I realised that so much of what I learned and practised as a naval officer is is very relevant in in a lot of my my journey um, in project management, in project leadership, in change and writing and coaching. But from the Navy, I was really passionate about some of the projects I was given when I was working um, at Maritime Headquarters, which was after I'd been on ships for a few years. And I loved it so much that I I left the Navy and started working as a project manager and did that for a number of years, working as project manager and as a change manager. And then I was given an agile project to run in the early 2000s. I was very excited. I had to Google what agile was, but when I did, I was very excited by the possibilities because at the same time I was also um, very fascinated by human behaviour and how people interact with technology and how they cope with change. And I'd actually done my thesis at university on change. So it's something that's been very close to my heart for a while. And that kind of got me into submerging my love of projects and change with my love of and fascination with people and behaviour into um, working more in the coaching space. And in the coaching space, I just loved just having all these diverse experiences with different clients and different challenges. And um, when it came to becoming an author, I feel like the book just had to be written. It was like it was 
inside me and it just sort of burst in to come out. So my journey to getting pen to paper was really all that experience and and my want to share it with others in a way that was a bit more digestible than me just going blah. So yeah, that's the journey in a nutshell. <laughs> the Royal Navy, that's amazing. Defence Force, hey? I actually um know a weapons engineer, so um, Sarah, and uh, through another networking group and the stories that she's told me about what they have to um, go through in the in the naval strategy work it was just amazing so yeah wow you're a naval girl as well yes yes yeah lots of interesting experiences and yeah it's been um I think it's really taught me a lot and set me up quite well for the sort of work I do now yeah so the projects that you um you know that you've taken on to get to where you are today have they been um more application driven to get business from paper to online or what sort of things? Oh, it's a bit of everything, really. I did a lot of technology-type-focused projects when I was in the Navy, simply because that was at the time when the Navy had a big emphasis on improving their systems, so a lot of back-end-type stuff. So when I left the Navy, the sort of projects I ended up doing were mainly in the back-end infrastructure, so data centres, um, building servers, connecting them to new applications, so mainly on the back end, but then I sort of migrated into more of that application development and then sort of, I guess, I guess migrated again to then that business change part. So focusing on the business readiness piece. Mm. So I guess I've done a little bit of everything really. It's the tech back end, you know, and how the application's used and how, you know, people interact with it. Wow, we're similar as well on that. Yes, yes, I did notice you started, like you've got a lot of application and infrastructure type experience. It's kind of good. I think it gives you an empathy and understanding for the other elements of a project because it can be, you can sort of get a bit, you know, get a bit blinkered in your project and think, oh, this is really important and kind of forget that there are other elements. I think with the sort of experience you and I've had, we are less likely to fall into that trap. Mm, I absolutely agree. So your book that we mentioned, the Agile Project Manager, and you said you had, you know, just it was in you and you had to write it. Mm. What what is it about that book that you felt that you needed to share your message and story, and how are you using it with your clients today? Well, I think for anyone, when you learn something new that really moves you, and for me, when I first learned about Agile, it moved me because I just saw the potential and how much it could be used and so well. And when I had a chance to use it, I just thought I need people to know about this. <laughs> so I was speaking at quite a few events and people would ask me at the event, oh, is there a book? And I said, oh, there's not really, but maybe I should write one. So really what I did was I, I sort of picked the things that resonated with me the most as being the most important for a project manager, a project leader who was moving into Agile, what were the things that they absolutely needed to know? So I didn't kind of go through the whole technical Agile stuff because there's so much written about that already, but more put myself in the shoes of a project manager who wanted to learn more about Agile and where they needed to start, you know, starting with really understanding the overall vision, a big emphasis on, on stakeholder management, engagement and communication um, through to then how do you bring it all together? So it wasn't hard to stand in those shoes because I had been that project manager. So effectively the book was written for my younger self. I would have loved to have read that. And that's what I guess was what was in my mind when I put the book together. 
Yeah, I think it's a brilliant resource. It's on my bookshelf. And I know that there's um, yellow and green highlighter pen and sticky notes all through it. So <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so it's definitely one of my go-to references. The thing that I probably want to just quickly ask you, and this is the, the question that I get asked all the time, is what's the difference between Agile and Waterfall? Why, why do an Agile project? Now, you've called yours the Agile Project Manager. Why do you think you focused on the word Agile and what does that mean for you? It's a really interesting question because I really, um, when we talk about Agile projects versus Waterfall projects, I, I worry that we're isolating them and kind of pitting them against each other, like Agile versus Waterfall, when really, you know, whenever I think versus, I think Alien versus Predator, not, you know, Agile versus Waterfall. But I guess I see them on a bit of a spectrum. So if I look at sort of one end, there's a more traditional way of working that's um, very plan-driven and there's a lot of upfront work that needs to be done and it needs to be done in big stages. And at the other end of the spectrum are projects that can be done in small slices of value often because of the nature of the work that's happening. And then somewhere in the middle is probably where most of us sit, where there's generally going to have to be a bit of upfront planning and probably some big chunky type stages at various points in the project, whether it be at the start or maybe towards the end when there's a lot of integration work to do, or et cetera. But there's also opportunities to, to look at what are those slices of value that we can, can add often to, uh, to our customers. So what could we deliver our customer early? How might we test and learn? How might we do an experiment? So for me, Agile is all about experimentation. It's about working closely with our customers to deliver what they want. And often they don't know that until they delivered something. So for me, it's not so much about let's not do anything traditional anymore. It's let's think about what the best fit for purpose approach is for the project or for the requirement for the customer, for the product or, or whatever it is you're working on. Yeah, to- totally get that and agree because... Um, Dana that I interviewed earlier, um, she was my boss twice over. Um, her quote that I stuck with is she said, you know, we need to get business case and finance agility to match the way that we deliver and that the mm. traditional way of organisations funding their initiatives actually kind of limits our ability to work differently. And And we had a conversation about, you know, how can we get that cycle of funding um, by, you know, the people to say, hey, it's okay to invest $100,000, like you said, to experiment, look and learn, then, you know, spending a million dollars up front and then going, oh, it's the wrong project, you know. So I I love that. And I know that you wrote an article recently about the slices you mentioned there um, and that was really relevant, you know, how can we have a slice at a time? Yes, exactly. And I think that's totally possible. Some work I've done with clients in the past is looked at agile governance. So there've been either teams working in in agile ways or not, but it's really about focusing on things like the investment committee and sponsors and helping them put together business cases for a small slice to explore. Mm. So, and that's worked really well because instead of planning out the whole project, we've got together and said, well, what could be the first thing we would do? And then what are our proof points that we're on the right track? And then when we've done that slice, then it's, well, okay, now we need funding for the next part because we've proven our worth. And that works really well because it means at any point you could stop and still have some value as opposed to spend six months writing a business case and have no value but have a heavy document. 
can't agree more. Um, the more that we can help that um, in management executive level understand that there is a different way to manage risk, and really that's what they're doing. You know, they're managing the risk of um, their budgets and their reputation and their customer satisfaction and all that stuff. But they, you know, if we can actually help them understand that they can break it down into smaller pieces and still, like you said, deliver value. And the way, the place where I've seen that work well is when I was at RMIT. Oh, yeah? Yeah. um, They set up their student management system program of work um, through what we call SAFE, you know, the Scaled Agile Framework. And every 90 days there was a release of value to the student and the people involved in that oh, it was magnificent to see and then I was given the opportunity to set one up as well. But for me, that was the first time I've seen how you can plan and deliver a slice every 90 days where you've got the subject matter of experts involved, the students involved, the management involved, the project team involved, um, mm. and, and you're doing a release plan collected, you know, collaboratively for one full day and you're committing to what the next 90 days looks like and then you just go away and do it. There's no second, there's no big, you know, oh my God, we need to have a 50 page business case. And, you know, it's that one day and you all walk away agreeing to what that 90 days looks like. I've seen it done really well at RMIT. So, oh, that's really good to hear. And it is scaled agile is an example of, I think, on on the spectrum fit for purpose because it's taking, it's understanding the need that we do need to do a bit of upfront planning and spend a bit of time understanding it and then delivering some slices, deliver, you know, a release train and then yeah. deliver a, a release and safe works in 90 day yeah, increments, which is, which is perfect for a lot of organizations. So it's definitely understanding. We can't just rush off and do everything, something every two weeks or every week. That's right. So, yeah. That's clear that there's yeah. organizations doing that well. Yeah. So, because you're in this space and you, you know, you're the go-to girl for um, agile coaching and training. Um, I know that from all the um, people that that know you, and I've talked to them about you. In your experience, what are you seeing organisations struggle with when they attempt an agile way of working? Because it's different language, it's different behaviours. What what's some of the things that you're seeing? Yeah, and working in an agile way is very different to what a lot of seasoned professionals have worked in the past. And I think the big thing that we all struggle with is we do struggle with change. And, you know, as human beings, we're not that great at change. We're better at the status quo. And when it's being done to us, that can be hard as well. But underneath that, if we really want to work in an agile way, we really do need to make a really big shift in how we how we think. And and it requires quite a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness. And in that moment, it's very uncomfortable because we're faced with the need to let go of old strategies, of old ways of working that have been hugely successful for us in the past. And they've worked so well that it's really hard to, to let them go. So I do find with clients, they tend to hold on to what they know and not want to let go. And when they don't want to let go, it makes it impossible for them to take on something new. So that's the big struggle, I guess, in a, in a nutshell that I notice and, and work with on my clients the most. Mm. And would that be an example of where uh, we might have in a team quite a traditional way of working a couple of people um, where they like to know 
the plan, the process, exactly how the result's going to look and feel like before they get committed to it. Whereas you've got other people in your team that are going, oh, let's have a go. Let's let's try something new. So is that kind of that, not conflict, but disruption and the people that want traditional are kind of finding it a little bit difficult or is it the new flamboyant, let's have a go, risk takers that are kind of leading the way? What's What is that struggle look like? I think the struggle looks like if you've got a strategy that work, has worked for you in the past and there's certain things you need, so, you know, maybe as a more traditional way of working, I've needed the whole plan. I've wanted to know exactly what the product's going to look like, exactly what the solution or the system is going to look like. But the people that struggle with the newer way of working aren't necessarily the people that need all that. They're the people that recognise they needed it and they knew why they needed it. So instead of asking for the whole plan they're asking for the thing that the plan gives them. Mm. And they're the ones that are okay, but it's the ones that don't necessarily know why the plan is important that go, oh, I just need the plan, just give everything to me. And they're the ones that sort of struggle a bit. And it's the same with the new flamboyant people, as you say. They're like, this is exciting, let's go explore. But they're just exploring because that's the new way of working, not because they know why it's important. So... Does that make sense in my cat? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and <laughs> and you picked up um, why and that's the purpose. Why are we doing this? It's such the underutilised question that I that I I try to promote all the time. I say, mm. ask yourself why we're doing this, you know, and if you're not sure, ask again why. So when you get to the fifth why and you're all singing the same answer, yeah. maybe we're on the right thing and doing the right thing. Um, so yeah, I love it that you said the why. It's mm-hmm. why we're doing it, not how. So we have yeah. to change our thinking from how and what to the why. I got mm. that. Um, I just want to probably reflect. Uh, last year I was uh, busy, I would say, um, with a project, and their governance and their client kept saying, "Give us the schedule. Give us the schedule. Give us the schedule." And I kept asking, why is the schedule important when we've got your subject matter experts that don't understand why they're doing what they're doing? Mm. So they were pushing the vendor to provide the schedule and to provide what, you know, when we're going to have this to go live. And whereas when I was in there, you know, doing a bit of a project health check, my question was, you've got your people here in the project that don't even understand the purpose and the why. You're asking mm. them decisions on paper. Why, you know, have what, what what I call play labs or tech labs where you get the vendor in with the product and say, this is what it could look like. Would this work for your staff, for your crew out in the field? Would they be able to use iPads and would they be able to update work orders um, on the fly? Or are they still the traditional worker where they want to fill in a form and send it to the depot at the end of the day? So mm. all that why had not really been teased out and yet they were trying to push a schedule as the lever of why they were failing and it definitely wasn't because of the schedule. It was because they hadn't addressed the why. Mm. And there's actually two levels of why there I just picked up on with you, which is really cool actually. One of them is the overall project why and a sponsor's main job is to confirm and reconfirm and communicate and communicate that why so that people are all aligned on the why 
Um, and the other element is that when there are certain things that are asked for in a project, like can you give me the schedule, can you give me this, can you give me that, it's um, one of the most common questions I ask as a coach is, you know, you've asked me for this particular thing or you need this particular thing from the team, what will that give you? And I try and sort of chunk them up to the purpose of it. Mm -hmm. So it's like asking why again. So you want to schedule, what, what will that give you? What is it that you really need? Because we can definitely give you that and it may be something else other than the schedule. And so a lot of sponsors and stakeholders, they're looking for certainty. They're looking for knowing everything so they don't have to, they're looking to make all the unknowns knowns and the challenge with projects is that projects are all about the unknown mm. and we can never have full certainty. If we've got a project and everything's certain, it's not a project. It's a process and we're just going about doing that and we should not be investing a project team in yes. that. So I think that's the challenge I think a lot of stakeholders and sponsors fall into and even, I mean, people on projects as well, they're looking for certainty where there is none. So if they say they want certainty, my question is, well, how might else we get that? And understanding that we're not going to have it fully in a project sense. Yeah, love Very it. Love yeah. it. Absolutely agree. That's gold. Um, okay, so we're working with project teams, um, both you and I, and we're coaching them on you know what project success is. You know, an agile way of working. You you specialize in. Um, mm. I specialize a lot in um, project leadership, where I believe that every team members responsible for bringing their best version to the team. Mm. Um, and so with your experience, what do you believe shapes a project team's success? Oh, this is a great question. I think, you know, for a team to be successful, they've got to be able to communicate with each other. And I think that comes from knowing each other well. So they've got to have that, you know, what it's like when you work in an amazing team and everyone knows each other and they just get on with it. So if something's happened, you can quickly ask someone for something without sort of doing any kind of prelude or worrying about hurting their feelings because you know them so well, but you've invested that time to know them. And when teams understand each other's strengths, their weaknesses, their preferences, I think that's where you get that real flow. Um, you get that real kind of understanding and, and, and all that noise gets cut out, all that doubt and all that, I wonder if this is okay. It just goes and I think it comes from a team, yeah, communicating with each other well and knowing each other well. Mm, yeah, I totally agree that um, trust has been kind of the underlying um, flow the last probably six months. Oh, pardon me. Um, that was my stomach. I haven't had lunch yet. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so trust has been the, um, I think, the underlying foundation piece for a lot of the project teams when I'm working with them, mm. that they don't trust themselves and then they don't trust the person that they're asking to do their work with them because there's kind of a fear of that's my reputation, so are you going to let me down? Yeah, I think also it's the language of trust as well. So a lot of the reason why people don't trust each other is that they don't have the language to connect with each other. And one of the things that I work a lot with teams is um, is helping them understand their strengths. So I'm a certified uh, Clifton Gallup Strengths Coach. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, one of the things that I love about it, and it's only really come out since I've been coaching teams more in this, is it gives you a language, so it gives you a common language. So my top strength is input, which means I love research, I love information, I love learning, and, and you know, that's great. But for someone else who may not have that high, I could come across as 
maybe possibly annoying. Yeah. Um, I'd imagine you would have input quite high as well, yes. um, JC. I just have yeah. a feeling you would. Um, but if I'm asking something of you and I don't know you well, I can go, oh, JC, this is really my input talking, but I, you know, I'd really love to understand that a bit better. Are you okay with that? So immediately we've established a communication with each other where we understand each other. So and it doesn't have to be strengths. It can be something else. But, yeah, just that, you know, that language where, you know, you get where I'm coming from and why I'm asking you as opposed to, oh, here she goes again with her questions. So <laughs> having that language is just so good. Yeah, I absolutely agree that the language and, yeah, um, I talk about, you know, project teams when they're setting themselves up, you know, the kickoff and mm. where I've seen that uh, a project team has only been given, you know, a day to do a kickoff meeting or something and, you know, well, now you're a project team. I go, whoa, hang on a minute, you know, how how many years did it take you to actually love your in-laws, you know, and... Yeah. Um, so big kick off yeah so a project team is like trying to love your in-laws it's you know you they're they're part of your network and they're there and they bring different you know different thinking and skills to the table but um yeah respect them in a way that you know so yeah I I love that it's the language and um Mm. agree yeah and I think any team does need to go through I know that's sort of we all hear it but I really believe in it that um you know we do have to spend some time forming and there's going to be some some storming there's going to be some the challenge or there should be some conflict and then there'll be some norming where we sort of iron that out and um I think without that healthy conflict where we do have that disagreement we don't get past that Mm. agree so you um, have been, you know, with many, many different project teams and project managers. What do you believe are the differences between a good project manager and an awesome project manager? Oh, that's a cool question. I think a lot of people can be good project managers. I think a good project manager can almost go through the motions. They can have their schedule and they can have all their documentation up to date. They can spend some time with the team and make sure they're doing the stuff they're supposed to be doing. And I mean, that's sort of pretty average, average, but I think to be awesome, I think the difference is that they truly believe in their project. So the, the awesome project managers I've seen have truly believed in what they're doing and they're passionate about not just getting it done, but getting the most out of the team and creating an environment where everyone excels and they go out of their way to create that environment. And an awesome project manager will work that little bit harder to do something that needs to be done in order to allow the project team to be excellent at what they do. And I'll give you sort of an example of that. I always think about it from reporting. A very average project manager will get everyone to line up um, all their reports so it's really easy for them to, to kind of collate it all for a steering committee or something like that. So you'll get a developer and tester and a UAI designer. They'll spend a lot of time, extra time, so trying to meet that project manager's needs so it's easy for the project manager. I find an awesome project manager will say, hey, just give me what you have and I'll do the work. So my the demands of my steering committee and my executives don't become your problems. They stay my problem. So that awesome project manager will keep those problems theirs as opposed to making them everybody else's. And that's because they care and they want the team to be doing what they do best. Love that example. Reporting is such an awesome example there. Um, oh, that's <laughs> and and so another one. Oh, and another one for me is. Um, 
I call it kind of the moat around the castle. So mm. an awesome project manager will will take the firing line. So even if someone in the team may have made a mistake or, you know, the decision wasn't just great, you know, um, the project manager will stand and say, well, no, that's my team and, I, you know, it's, and I'm, I'm accountable for that. Don't point the finger back into the castle. You know, the moat's written in the mm-hmm. moat's around there to protect them and you, your role is to protect them. So they're there to mm-hmm. bring their best and sometimes the best doesn't actually work and you're going to have these people trying to throw grenades over the over the wall at your team. Your role is to protect them and to say, well, no, that's my team and they're doing the best that they can and I'm supporting them and if you want to have a go, have a go at me, um, but back away yeah. from my team. I love that image and I, and then I'm thinking that the time that you'd roll out the drawbridge and go, yep, yes. open up the gates is when someone wants to give praise. Yes. That's when you don't want to be at the moat going, yes, thank you, that's all me, yes, thank you. Um, that's when you want to sort of stand aside and, and let that praise yes. make its way into the, into the team. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, um, yeah, and always have the t- I always get the team to receive the award, you know. it's mm. They've done all the hard work, um, you know, they've had the late hours and that away from their partners and their families and so they should be up on stage um, receiving. Um, so, yeah, so I love that. So reporting and then you can use my uh, the castle one. I love it. I love it. I love that idea. So good. Just imagine it now. It's a little castle with all these people inside and you know, I'm not sure where that fits in, but I'll, I'll think about how that could work. You can actually turn it into a bit of fun. I've, I've done a role yeah. play. I've done a role play with it before. It's it's quite fun. Oh yeah, um, yeah. The teams have kind of got carried away and they've created all these um, passwords. You know, when they're knocking on the the drawbridge to try and enter, and oh, it's been crazy. Yeah. But it's been fun. I love um, it. Look, you you are with so many different clients. What do you enjoy most about helping them? You know. I think um, the big thing for me is when a client has an aha moment. So we're either I'm running a planning workshop, for instance, or I'm running a capability session, like a formal training or doing sort of in-the-moment coaching. And it's when that sort of moment, that penny drops, where they just sort of something clicks into place and it's just one of those moments where they go, oh, yeah, oh, I can just see how this can, can you know, can, can work for me. Or I've just sort of had a moment of realisation I, I really love that. And it's sort of in coaching language, we talk about sort of that sort of internal feeling and the external feeling. So external is when you sort of see it and, and others are contributing and it's almost like a recognition type piece. But the, the internal feeling is that it's all yours and it's like a little click. And when a client has that feeling, um, it, it really means they've grown. It means they have been able to let go of, of something that was holding them back and they're now in a whole whole new world. And And the big... I think the thing that gives me the most enjoyment is, is that I helped do that, but the client owns it. Um, and I'm really excited. A, a project I coached last year has won a big award by the Project Management Institute and it's all on them. They had lots of those internal moments of, oh, we get this, but they were seeking them. They were hungry to learn and, and, and really keen to adopt agile ways of working and, and collaborate and, and, and learn together. And because they were so keen to do it they got all this reward and of course external recognition is amazing but along the way there were all these internal aha moments that really made the project team an amazing project team to work with and also just made them an amazing bunch of people and I love being part of that as their coach 
Oh, that's awesome. Are you so if it's an award with the PMI, that's pretty significant. Are you able to share or not yet? It hasn't been announced. Yes, well, it will be announced very soon. So of course I can probably share it. It's um, a Project Excellence Award. It's the Project Excellence Award. It gets given out once a year at um, the Project Management Institute um, Awards Ceremony in Philadelphia. And um, there are two big awards. One of them is Project of the Year, and that's for projects that are over 100 million. And this is the Project Excellence, which was projects under 100 million. And um, it was a project for uh, VCAT. Um, and it was all about digital dispute resolution. So they really ventured into whole new territories and explored all these different ways of, of making it happen. And they were all so committed to, to the outcome and, and, and giving something new a go that it really it, it paid off big time, which I'm just, I'm still just so chuffed about. That's excellent. Congrats to them, but also to you for coaching them through that. And I love the fact that you look at internal um, and external recognition. And for me, Mm. that's whole self-awareness. Nothing can, no one can give that to you. That's yours. And when you, like you said, have those aha moments, that whole adrenaline and that buzz, you know, you, you stand six foot tall and, mm. um, yeah, but the award, that's going to be very special for them. Well done. Yeah, thank you. And the award is this amazing external thing, but I, I think the internal feeling gets you through the other stuff because there are times when you'll be working in an environment where you're not necessarily getting praise every five minutes. That's a great job. Well done. I mean, we, you know, those environments don't exist, probably a bit overbearing anyway. So, there are times when having that sort of internal confidence of knowing, yep, no, I'm, I'm doing a really good job here is really important. So, you know, for, for me to help facilitate that, that's where sort of long-lasting, you know, change happens because that outlasts, you know, the, the award ceremony and the black tie do. That's the, that's the feeling that stays with you forever. So, yeah, it's a really satisfying feeling and it is really what gets me out of bed in the morning and makes me excited to do my job. Oh, that's great. Well. Thank you so much for your time, Emma. Um, I know there's going to be people that want to get in touch with you and understand a little bit more about what you do and how you can help them. So how how best will people get in touch and also buy your book? Ah, yes. So they can go to my website, theagileprojectmanager.com.au, where my book's available as a book book, as in like a paperback and in digital download as well. Oh, that's great. And I'll also provide the links on my website um, for people to be able to click through and find you easier than um, that. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I love it when people just get in touch to just ask me questions as well. So um, LinkedIn as well is great as well, Emma Sharrick. Absolutely, yeah. Get on Definitely get on LinkedIn and uh, connect with you because you do post those great articles, like as I mentioned, um, and the last one was about the slices. Yes. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's a pleasure and I know that this is just the beginning of our relationship and um, I, I know somewhere down the track we'll be collaborating and, um, yes. and making a huge difference somewhere. And that's what it's all about and that's probably what I, I loved about you when I first met you is that, that yearning to make a difference because that's why we do what we do mm-hmm. and uh, it's really great to, to connect with people like you and collaborate with you because yeah, when we're with our like-minded people, when we're in that environment where we're all passionate about, you know, the same thing, we've got that same vision, um, it can be just infectious and really exciting. So, yeah, thank you. I'm really honoured that you asked me to be on 
your podcast and I'm looking forward to more conversations. Oh, thanks, Emma. Have a good day. Thanks, JC. You too. Thank you for listening and I hope you have a few ideas to take action. I would love for you to rate and review the show. I too need feedback to learn. Cheers for now. Remember, a day without laughter is a day wasted.